Welcome to Culture Conversations, a podcast that helps disciples make disciples in today's world. I'm Chris Moran, host of Culture Conversations, and today you'll be hearing from the pastoral elders of Eternal City Church as they continue in a conversation on race and ethnicity and the cultural tensions surrounding these realities in our time. I trust you'll be encouraged. All right, brothers, here we are again with part two of Healing Conversations on Race. We have Grandmaster Bishop. We have the Reverend Wright Rue, the theologian. Good sermon tonight, brother. And we have the sociologist, Justin Coxham, and I myself am still the voice of one crying out on the podcast, prepare the way of the Lord. We're going to continue in our conversation here. We are thankful for this opportunity to talk to our church specifically, but anyone who might listen in. And our desire truly is to unify peoples, which is one of our five core commitments as a church. So that's the motivation behind this podcast and this recording here. And we want to think biblically about what has been happening since really America's founding, but in particular, the last several weeks have been very inflammatory and very out in the open, and many things have resulted and, and are still unfolding. So we are uh, kind of taking it day by day as it comes and seeing new developments. So we're going to start with scripture, and we're going to start with Acts chapter 6, 1 through 6, because uh, there is a lot in the, the scriptures that has to do with ethnicity, uh, unity amongst diversity, and this is one of those texts in which we can also see how the church handled these types of tensions uh, 2,000 years ago, right? Right. All right, so I'm going to read for us Acts 6, um, 1 through 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because of their widows were, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paraminus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. I'm going to read 7 too. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so what we see here, brothers, is a Hellenistic complaint. Does someone want to explain what Hellenist means? Because that's a word we don't much use anymore. Pete? <laughs> Pete first. Pete first. So Hellenists, and specifically Hellenistic Jews, um, they, were, <clears throat> they were people who would have um, had Greek origin. They were not uh, Jewish by birth, but they, uh, they adopted into the Jewish and then Christian religion, essentially. So their ethnicity was not Jewish. Their ethnicity was... Um, Greek. Good. 
And so what's happening is there's this section of the church, and it's truly the church, but the argument is the Jewish ethnicity group of widows is being neglected, or I'm sorry, is being favored, and the Hellenistic uh, ethnicity group of widows is being neglected in the daily distribution of the food. This was something the early church did. They took care of widows and orphans, and they would feed them, and people would you know sell items and then give it to the church. They would liquidate it and use it to, to care for people. And so the church does what to address this? They do something very, very wise. What do they do, Justin, to address this? Uh, a couple of things. I, one is is the division of labor that the apostles choose to go on preaching the word and devoting themselves to prayer, so it doesn't derail a lot of the early fire of the of the, of the church, which was preaching the word and praying. Right, that's all the way back to the upper room. The disciples are mm-hmm. praying together, but they do uh, get together and, and call a face to face meeting to say, "Let's sort this out. Let's let's figure out how we can uh, potentially mitigate this issue." And I think it, it, it speaks to also the idea that there are people in the church who are raised up to oversee and make sure that people are taken care of. So I think there's a number of things. There's prayer and the word continuing. There's the face-to-face meeting about you know, deciding how we're going to handle this. And then there's the appo- appointing of what we read in scriptures, the first deacons, mm-hmm. right? Appointing a role to make sure that people are fairly taken care of. So a lot of wise things, but maybe particularly the one that, that might be a little foreign to us t- today, or at least challenging for us, is the idea of the face-to-face conversation. Like, we're mm. going to get together and, and, and hash this out. And I think mm. that is wise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And in addition to that, what we see here is the complaint came up from the Hellenists, mm-hmm. and then from the names right. of the deacons chosen, they were also Hellenists. Mm-hmm. And so they appointed people who would be trusted, if you will, from the apostles. So the apostles who were all Jewish and and ethnicity did not handle, Mm -hmm. in a sense, the Hellenist complaint. So we see something there of the wisdom of the early church to appoint people of the same ethnicity to make sure that their uh, complaint was well handled so that it was properly received. So what wisdom can we glean from that? Is that affirmative action? (laughs) (laughs) Ha <laughs> 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 I don't know. So, some people would read that and say, are we reading into the text this, this modern ideology of this ethnic group needs to be uh, put in this place to solve this problem that was a, at one time or in the past a problem among this ethnic group? Mm-hmm. So people would say that's the modern ideal of affirmative action. Um, I, I think you, you hit it right, though, that it's wise it's not required. It's right. not a law. There's not a book, chapter, verse. That it's like says, if you're if you're not doing this, yeah, you're wrong. wrong. We're not saying. Yeah, exactly. That. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good. But way it's clearly it. there in the it's text. There. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And so, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. The idea that they're full of the Holy Spirit, I think, is important too. Mm-hmm. So it's not saying that we're choosing people who aren't qualified, yeah. but they have the right ethnicity, so we're going to choose them. It's saying these are qualified men who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they happen to have this wise characteristic that will maybe allow them to better serve people who come from their same background. Mm. That, that to me seems wise mm-hmm. and not, affir- not affirmative action, which is probably a whole other podcast. Yeah. Itself. And we would be reading into the text that yeah, idea because right. yeah. clearly they did not have that idea right. in their heads mm-hmm. when they did this. No, I think it was really helpful. So you're saying that the Holy Spirit directed them to do this, mm-hmm. but I think you clearly do see that in the text. Oh, yeah, and I think yeah, it's, yeah. it's helpful for us to note that. Mm-hmm. Now, do you guys have any other thoughts about what was happening and the yeah. wisdom that they um, used there? They were, these were um, 
the early stages of the church. And so there were new believers coming in, like you said, people who weren't Jewish necessarily. And um, any, any system will give its best to the majority culture. Mm. Any system in place will do that. We'll give its best to where they're getting their support from the most. They will give their best to that, to that culture. And so, um, and I think what you see here is uh, when these new believers came in who were not of the same ethnicity group, they were um, not favored, quote unquote. Um, but the, and the complaint came from them, the Hellenistic Jews, mm-hmm. not from the other Jews. Why? Because the system had working fine for them for years. Mm-hmm. You know, but all of a sudden now you have this new group and um, you start to see favoritism. So I think that's, that's something to point out that um, the others weren't complaining because they were not being deprived. Mm-hmm. You know, only the new believers were being deprived um, who were of a different, different ethnicity. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's something to point out to it. And, 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 and even when, you're, when they're being, when the system is, uh, majority culture is giving its best to uh, the majority culture of the system, and not necessarily a racist thing necessarily, right, right. consciously anyway. It's just that, okay, this is working, let's do this. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you have to make a conscious effort to um, uh, go outside of that kind of thinking when other subcultures come in. Does that make sense? Am yeah, I making absolutely. sense? Okay, all right. Yeah. So I think that's something you see here too. Um, the, the complaint came from the new people, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. You know, the subculture yeah. and not the majority culture. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it was very wise in how they handled it. Yeah, mm-hmm. very wise, yes. yes. Yeah. If I could add one comment and then a question. Um, I think it's, it's interesting that the solution was a very concrete solution mm-hmm. to this problem. It, it wasn't something abstract. Um, it, it wasn't something that was um, really so nebulous and large that it wasn't just, okay, we need to fix this problem, and then that was it. That was the end of the conversation. It was, no, we, we put concrete solutions and steps in place that resulted in the deacons being put into place and, and people being cared for. So the, it, when we think of where we are currently within the context of the church and then society at large and in racism and, and things, a lot of times you hear we just need to end racism and that, and like, that's the solution. Too ambiguous. Like, that, that's not, what are the concrete things that we can do to actually like combat what, what we're seeing is injustices in society. Um, and then the question I have, um, obviously we can talk about that a little bit, but the, the question I have when it comes to very practical things, um, how does a church or an institution of society not have something like appointing, let's say, let's say there's no black elders in a church, so we're going to appoint one. How does that not just come across as pandering in our current society? Mm. 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 Good question. Yeah. How do you uh, avoid that? I, I don't know if yeah. that's the intention of the people Token there, but yeah, how do you yeah, avoid yeah, that yeah, perception yeah, yeah, being yeah. put on the situation? Mm-hmm. Can it be avoided? I think so. Um, I don't know. I, I think every situation is different. Um, I think if, if, if the church all along has been promoting unity, diversity all along, um, and not just all of a sudden because a black elder is available, you know, so if it's something they've always talked about um, and always talked about um, diversity and leadership mm-hmm. when, that, when that opportunity came, I think that can help with 
people, mm. you know, not, not believing that it's just pandering mm-hmm. because they've already stated we'd like to have, you know, um, a diversity or whatever the case may be. So I think that would, that would help if it wasn't just something that just came up all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But you've always been talking about this. You've always dealt with race issues. Yeah. And mm. so I think that would help. Yeah, that's, that's good. Help. That's good. You want to add anything, Justin? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very relevant question because what we're dealing with is, you could say, similar, similar to what the church in Acts is dealing with in that, in that passage. There is no racist Hebrew that we find out about who's like purposefully, mm-hmm. intentionally yeah. like trying to mess stuff up. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, it just seems to be a, a group is being overlooked. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about today, I think that's a lot of what we deal with in the church. I don't know many Christians who would self identify as racist, like purposely, like I'm a Christian and a racist. Like, I think that's so heavily stigmatized that no one would think that way today. So when I think of how do we make sure that people aren't overlooked, that people aren't being, you could say in a sense, oppressed or maybe not having their voice heard or being fed spiritually. Cause that's, you know, Jesus said that we don't live by bread alone, but by the word. So if like a group is being overlooked and not being fed or not being cared for, um, how do we appoint leadership without that seeming like tokenism or pandering? I think it has to go back to the body of Christ and that analogy of we all play different roles in different parts. And if, like Eddie said, a church is praying from the beginning, like we want this to help be a part of our body, we would see this person coming on not just to endorse the things we already think and believe, but they would have a unique perspective, unique mm-hmm. gifts, unique background that we think can help further edify us and reach our community. And so I think what that would allow you to do is say, well, one, this person's coming on because they're going to edify the church mm-hmm. in ways that perhaps, perhaps, right? We, we don't want to think in, in concrete racial terms, but in ways that could perhaps better serve our community and better serve our body. And also, I think it's not pandering when that person's allowed to, to perhaps challenge or push back like the, like the Hellenist pushback. Like, hey, this, this needs to, we need to examine this and we need to talk about this. Um, and I think you kind of find that out, right? Like if nothing's willing to change and you've brought the minority on to just endorse everything you're doing, then I do think it's, mm-hmm. it's maybe some yeah. form of like, they're there to make us not seem racist as opposed right. to they're a part of the body of Christ. They're unique. We want them to challenge us to edify us and vice versa as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's helpful. One, another thing I want to add with that, with the, when the decision they made involved the Hellenists. They didn't just go to the group who was in charge of the distribution and say, okay, you guys need to stop being yeah. racist, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And put a law in place. They didn't say, you know, but they said, okay, they brought them and gave them a seat at the table mm-hmm. and say, okay, help us fix this. You know, and I think that's important mm-hmm. rather than just say, okay, we'll deal with it and then go to the people and say, okay, you need to stop doing this. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but I think that, that I think that was that was important. They gave them a seat at the table, it's help us to solve this problem. Yeah. You know, um, being that you were offended, help us to not offend mm-hmm. you. It's good, and, and, get, and we need we need your input on this. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. that's important. Yeah, and 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 I want to emphasize that they didn't just go with unqualified yeah, people yeah. who fit that demographic. Mm, no, right. they, mm-hmm. they were full of the Holy Spirit. They right. are of good Wisdom. report. Yeah. They, you know, they, in a sense, had an assessment criteria. Mm-hmm. They didn't just throw anybody in there because they fit this. That would not be helpful. Right. No, we would want to see godly, mm-hmm. you know, appropriate, you know, there are standards for leadership in the right. Bible, whether deacons mm-hmm. or elders, and mm-hmm. the, these are proto-deacons mm-hmm. before, you know, First Timothy three was written. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one thing concretely, Pete, I think to answer your question, I think that churches could be praying yeah. actively yeah. and publicly for, uh, especially if, so it's one thing if you're way out in the country and the, yeah. no one in your community yeah. Yeah. reflects diversity. That's a good point. But if you're in, in my neighborhood, which is 
you know, Penn Hills here, there's all kind of diversity. And so you should, you should be praying that God would bring your neighborhood's reflective demographic into your church because in one sense a local church is supposed to be a local church. So what would that look like? Well, let's pray for the people in the community and let's pray for leadership of that demographic. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. And so if you're, that is concrete. We could do this. We could do it publicly and we could say it's a good thing if it happens and we can say, look, we've been praying for this. Mm -hmm. God answered our prayers Mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just to add to that, uh, piggyback off of that, I think um, uh, uh, churches, white churches in particular, ought to speak on racism regardless of if there's any yeah, black people point. in their in their church or even in their community. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I, they ought to, you ought to not just deal with that when I show up right. and say, "Oh, okay, let's talk about racism." Yeah. You ought to be talking because it's in the Bible. You know, right. I and mean, you need to deal with sin. Period. Right. And so I think they ought to be talking about racism even if there's no other ethnicity in their church or in their community. So when somebody does show up, yeah. you know, um, grease the wheels. they know how to love them. Mm-hmm. They know how to respond because they've already dealt with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even if there's um, racists in their, in their congregation, they've already been, you know, they know where the church stands. Right. Even if the individual doesn't they've change. They've been challenged. They, they've been yeah. challenged and yeah. they, know, they know the church's position on this. And so, and so I think that's important too. A lot of times um, uh, we only want to talk about it when when we feel the need to, yeah. um, or when the, or when there's a shooting, or when there's a racist issue that's that's gone national, you know, now all of a sudden we want to talk about it, and I don't think that it ought to work like, especially in the church. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, a few years back when I was at Penn Hills Alliance. Um, uh, when uh, Pastor Dan did the series on, yeah, well, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, we did a series on racism, and afterwards he asked me to come up and and, and speak and give a few words, and I told him that, and I said, um, this message should have went forth regardless of whether I was here or yep. not. Yeah. You know, and I think that's important for white churches in particular. And I think with black churches, we feel like, well, we, we talk about it all the time. We deal with it all the time. You know, so I think um, we, don't, we don't need to talk about it every Sunday, obviously every week. Right. Um, but the uh, but same thing with us. We need to talk about it, too. Just because you know, white people in our church doesn't mean that we don't need to talk about um, uh, being racist or, or mm-hmm. prejudiced, prejudice, whatever term yeah. you want to use yep. against, and that's old podcast, too, yeah. against white people. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. So I think that's important to point out. That's, I think that's important. Yeah. And, and I would agree that uh, regardless of, of if you have a diversity of ethnicity, you should do it. But I think if you're going to do that, I would commend that the leadership of that church be on the same page first. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> like you, yeah. you guys yeah, need to hash this yeah, out. I know mm-hmm. what you mean. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so so just for somebody who might be tuning in to part two before part one, let's real quickly visit something that we talked about last week. Um, we believe that race is a construct created uh, not for good. Mm-hmm. We believe it yep. was a, a, a faulty, oppressive, not good system that was created. And racism flowed out of that. Right. So racism is a real thing. However, races are not a real thing. They are uh, a, a faulty idea. There's one race, the human race. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. We, we have biblical foundations to stand on for mm-hmm. saying that. Um, ethnicities are also in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, go into the, to the world and make disciples of all Ethnicities. Yeah, the ethnicities. So this is, this is something the Bible recognizes. However, in Acts 17, as we said last week, Paul says to the philosophers on Mars Hill, from one man he made every nation of men. And so we see this 
biblical foundation for ethnicity. And in Revelation 5 and in Revelation 7, you have every tribe, tongue, nation, language, people, group. And, and they're all around the throne praising. So we would, you, you can have racism as a reality in our culture and in, in churches, but we want to push back against the idea of race itself because racism flowed from that faulty idea. Anyone mm-hmm. want to add to that for clarity for anyone who might be new to part two here? I think what's particularly unhelpful about the idea of race is it makes uh, people binary based off their skin color. So these people, because of their skin color, have these hardwired traits. Mm-hmm. You know, you could think of all the stereotypes of any ethnic group, be the Asian people or African-Americans or Irish, Italian. Like these are hardwired traits that trace back to skin color. And also I think race is unhelpful in particular because it, it um, in many cases, when you talk about racism, elevates certain people to saying these people are of better quality mm-hmm. or of more worthiness and these people are not. And that, again, is because of skin color, which would fly in the face of, I think, the, what we talked about in the first episode, the idea of the Imago Dei. Right. That everyone, right. every ethnicity is created in the image of God and that's of equal worth with our creator. Yeah. yeah and, and with that comes along the value and, and worth and identity that that ultimately people have. So I, I think when you, you start to break down the different groups into different racial structures, um, you begin to see, and I think what we found is people people finding an, a value and a worth placed on them just simply because of the way they look. Mm-hmm. When when our value, like a Christian worldview would say, our, our value isn't based on society's perception of the color of my skin and what that's worth to society. It's, it's based on the fact that I am made in the image of God. And that's where my value comes from as a human being, Mm -hmm. not in some social construct that was created to divide up the world. Yeah. And I think it's uniquely helpful to say at this point that the Bible has concrete solutions here Mm -hmm. and we are pointing them out Mm -hmm. that, you know, your, your N O N E demographic, uh, where no, there's really no foundation for unity, for equality. You you really don't have a solid foundation to stand on. Uh, and so I would admonish those who might be watching this. If you don't have a biblical foundation, you should check out the biblical worldview because it has foundations for justice and Mm -hmm. equality and personal responsibility and all the things that we want to see happen in society. The Bible puts justice itself is only found in the right and wrongness that God says is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. How do we even know what's right and wrong if Mm -hmm. if we don't have an ultimate right and wrong? Anyone want to speak on that for a second? The biblical worldview grounding all of these things that we are concerned about as a society in 2020? I would say that that's particularly helpful for minority groups who are oppressed. So one of the things that's very popular today is this idea, uh, maybe the, the most, one of the terms that you could use to describe it is standpoint epistemology. So your truth is your truth, basically. Mm. Live your truth. If you feel this way and you believe this way, we could say way. relativism. Relativism. That's another, that's another way to put it. So for a minority group, if people have relativistic thoughts about whether or not I'm a person, that, that's not, the impacts of that aren't just on, you know, aren't singular. So if you have a relativistic thought that these people are subhuman, then you can enforce or live in accordance with that thought that harms people. Whereas if the Bible says no, authoritatively from God, these people are worthy, valuable in their uniqueness, and they're made in God's image, 
that gives us more solid ground to stand on than everyone just living their truth, which a lot of times inherently favors larger groups because they can enforce their truth on people if, if they feel like they're subhuman or, or not worthy of, of full status. And I think that that's, a, that's an important thing to point out uh, because today a lot of relativism is seen as progressive. But when we think about what's best for people who are oppressed, it's having God on their side. Yes. And it's having God as the one who delivers them. And I think if we adopt a biblical, biblical worldview, we can start with that as opposed to, you know, go with what <laughs> the Spanish saying, vaya con Dios, go with God. No, we should, we should, we should think about it and, and really consider how much that actually empowers people to be able to say across the board, authoritatively, I am worth something because God says I am and not because you think it or I think it or someone else thinks it, but because God thinks mm-hmm. it or what I've achieved or what I yeah. own or yeah. all these other sub identity yeah. markers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Brothers, you have anything there for, you know, in one sense we're dealing with apologetics, but we're also commending a biblical worldview for all of these major contentious issues in the culture, including the, the tension surrounding justice right now and surrounding uh, ethnic division and prejudices and you want to add anything or should we move on? I think Justin summed it up well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. So we'll now move on to Galatians, and we're going to be in chapter 2, and I'm going to read uh, a portion of chapter 2, 11 through um, 14, and then we'll talk about it, because it's also uh, very relevant. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Unquote. And then he goes on to to make more arguments. So what is happening here is uh, in the church in Galatia, Peter came and he was fellowshipping full wholesale, full throttle with the Gentiles as if they were one. But then certain men, men come from James, and I think we could say um, it's, it's the Lord's brother, the one who wrote the epistle of James, and he was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. So I don't think this is saying that James endorsed these people, but they came from the Jerusalem church who was still upholding the dietary laws and the ceremonial laws and the calendar laws. And so when they came, Peter felt pressured to be in their stream of acting and eating kosher and all that. And so he separated himself from the Gentiles. And what's so interesting here, and I really want to highlight this, is Paul says this is a gospel issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yet here there's no articulation of the content of the gospel. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go there first. Mm -hmm. Pete, the theologian, (laughs) go there first, please. (laughs) Yeah, so it, it it is fascinating to see that it is it is a gospel issue, and he doesn't, he doesn't come in and spell out, here are, as you mentioned, all the, the content of the gospel. He doesn't come in and say, here's, yeah, here's atonement, and here's, here's justification, and here's union with Christ, and he doesn't, 
He doesn't go through all the details of what that is, but he says the gospel has implications for how we then are to live. Mm-hmm. So, so the gospel and all the things inherent to the gospel um, indicate and imply that we should treat people a certain way. And that doesn't mean, I think, it, I think he, when he gets into this, he has two problems. One is Paul's actually, or Peter's actually divorced from those people and separation from them. Like he sees that as a, as a problem in and of itself. But in addition, he says he had Barnabas follow after him, mm-hmm. follow he's after this. Yeah, he's leading other yeah. people. So, mm-hmm. so you're not only um, personally violating the gospel, but you're, you're causing others to stumble in the gospel mm-hmm. As well, and so I, I think there's clear implications for us here to say this isn't this issue of division among races and racism, the, the desire for unity within the body and within the church is is absolutely a gospel issue. And so when you see intentional desire to divi- divide the church, there should be a, a call out within the church to say, no, that's, that's not appropriate. That's wrong. That violates the gospel because in, in the gospel, you see the very, the very nature of it is we are united to Christ mm. and, and we live that out in union with other people mm. across all different classes, ethnicities, it's socioeconomic people groups. That is the call of the gospel. We are united to the Christ. And then we, we, mirror that in the church. And so to, to basically what Peter's doing in separating himself and dividing himself from these people and then leading others to that is to basically say that the cross and the union that is found there is, is not good enough. Mm. It's, it's not, it's not sufficient to care, to bring two people groups together. And that's essentially a denial of the gospel. I don't think Peter became a non-believer or anything right. through this, but mm-hmm. it's basically to say that the gospel isn't enough to unite when Paul and Jesus specifically say the gospel is what unites and that's it. Yeah. You want to say something, Eddie? Yeah. Um, uh, I think another issue that's seen here is um, Paul was saying to Peter in a sense the implication is this is going to cost you something. When you become a believer in Christ, and I think it's important for us to, 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 re, to remember this and realize this, um, like you said, it's a gospel issue. Peter, out of fear of, of the Jews, stepped back. What are they going to say? What are they going to think if they see me fellowshipping, eating with Gentiles? We're not allowed to do that. We're not supposed to be doing that. Okay. Um, and I think... Both the black church and the white church, which I don't like those terms, but you know, you get my point, um, have to understand that pursuing unity in the church is going to cost you something. Um, To my white brothers and sisters, it may cost you friendships. It may cost you um, uh, being talked about by family members because you're pursuing, because you're fighting for racial justice. Those who are against that, that even that term, are not going to be pleased um, with you for doing that. And you have to be, you have to say to yourself, am I willing to, 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 to deal with that for the sake of the gospel and unity in the body of Christ? And I think that's a fear that a lot of people have. You know, um, if I'm fighting for social justice, racial justice, and people don't think that's a biblical, biblical 
um, and I do, okay, am I willing to fight for that? Or am I going to um, uh, be like Peter and shrink back in fear and just be silent? You know, it's going to cost you something. Am I willing to pay that? It's going to cost, it may cost me and Justin something. And, and for, for, for blacks who don't think that we ought to be pursuing reconciliation and unity with white people at all, right. I would say non-believers in particular, yeah. um, but think that why are you doing that stupid? Why are you so stupid? You know, because we're pursuing a biblical uh, concept. And if you think it's a white man's religion anyway, you really ain't feeling this. Yeah. Right. So you know what? It's going to cost us our black card. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, are we willing to give that up? Yeah, quote unquote, good. to fight. And I think it's going to cost both of us something. Mm-hmm. And are we willing to lose whatever the cost is yeah. for the sake of the gospel and, and unity in the body of Christ? I want to come back to the fear thing in one second, but you said something that I think is helpful to parse out for a lot of people. Um, what you said was uh, there's an argument about Christianity being a white man's religion. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of white ethnicities, they've never heard that argument. Mm -hmm. And so that's confusing when Mm -hmm. that comes up. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that you also said when we are, you know, fellowshipping as Peter was fellowshipping Mm -hmm. with the, you know, the the Gentiles here, we could be potentially seen as uh, now not for and people or we are, Mm -hmm. we are. Mm -hmm. So explain that a little bit for people who that's a, what did he mean by that? Mm -hmm. This is a white man's religion. Well, Christianity is seen by a lot of uh, people in the black community as the oppressive religion. This, this religion was used to oppress black people during slavery. Um, in particular, it was used to oppress us and to keep us, um, um, uh, in service and servitude. And so how can you follow a book or a God that promoted that? Well, obviously, the Bible doesn't promote that. They, it was misused. The Bible was misused to promote slavery. It was misinterpreted and, and out of context. Misinterpreted and misused to, inter- to, uh, um, to inflict injustices on black people. Um, so so we've heard that all of our lives. Christianity is a white man's religion. And so, so that's what I meant by that. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're pursuing reconciliation with white people um, uh, using the white man's religion, you know what I'm Quote, saying? unquote. Quote, unquote. Um, what's wrong with you? You know, how can you use a book that was used to oppress your people now? How, you, how can you use that book to fight for justice? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not, that book is not for us. Yeah. So that's what I meant by that. So we would have to um, deal with that, that, that pushback yeah. and argue against that. And obviously there's arguments um, and evidence against that. But that's what I meant by that. Yeah. And you have dealt with that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. yeah. That, and, it's, and especially now since social media, it's come out even more since social media has been in play. Because there have been even black, quote unquote, former pastors and former Christians who have left Christianity because they discovered that it was all a sham and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, Council of Nicaea was, created Jesus and Christianity, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, so, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's huge right now. It's huge right now. Mm-hmm. But those are the kind of things that we would have to deal with. Yep. Um, and, and fighting for unity in the church. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and w- again, I'm not forgetting about the fear factor. We're going to mm-hmm. visit that. But uh, Christianity is a global religion. Mm-hmm. It's not an American thing. Right. And it's growing exponentially in the global south right now, yes. mm-hmm. which is non-white, non-European. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. That, and, that and, says and if you, something. And if you studied it, you would, 
realize that, know that. Right. I didn't say that was a smart, oh, I know, I know. I asked smart you or intelligent yeah, view. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to refute it by no, simply yeah, yeah, saying, yeah, like, yeah, look, yeah. where it's most growing and flourishing is not in the United States and not in Europe. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it didn't start there. No. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. And even yeah. in Acts, you see the Ethiopian eunuch. We can get right. into that if you'd like. Yeah. You know. In, uh, in the movie and in his book, Malcolm X is confronted on, I think it's Harvard's campus, he's giving a speech. Malcolm X, one of the most famous mm-hmm. leaders in certainly the black community and he's a very just well-known person, right? Mm-hmm. And a white student comes up to him and says, how can I help? I want to be down with the cause to help mm-hmm. you know, uh, lift black people up. And he says, you can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. And his basic idea is that black people will always be oppressed as long as they continue to partner with or seek unity with white people. And later on in his life, he, he backed off on that a little mm-hmm. bit. But it, it, early, especially when he was getting famous, that was his idea. And there's mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. certainly streams of that thought, oh, yeah, which is anytime black people partner with, try to get with white people, it's going to end in their oppression. And mm-hmm. it's going to end in them being subservient, just like they were in slavery, just like they were in civil, civil rights. So, you know, way even back to the question I think Pete asked, you know, they'll allow you in the church, but you'll be the token mm-hmm. black guy who's there mm-hmm. to you know, ease everyone's conscious about not being racist, which is why this, I think looking biblically at like how the picture of gospel unity is uniqueness and, and also unity is so compelling Mm. and is so, um, I think counter to what a lot of the perception is because there is, you know, certainly a perception still today that that Christianity is meant to be a way to prop up American white middle-class values, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't come from the Bible. Right. 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 And people need to understand the difference, but it's called the woke conscious community in particular, which are a group of black people who consider themselves woke because they no longer um, adhere to Christianity and Christian principles. So now I'm woke, you know, Christians are considered sleep. You know, so that's what I call. Yeah. I mean, it's really sad. Anyway, it's satanic actually. Yeah, what yeah, we would say is the yeah, enemy yeah, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, yeah. 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 One more thing before we leave this. Um, so it's, it's, it's on both sides here that we are going to pay a price mm-hmm. for trying to seek unity. Mm-hmm. And, and isn't it interesting? You know, I, I always love to look at the invisible realm because the Bible admonishes us to your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but yep. against principalities and powers ruling over this present darkness unity is something especially in the body of christ that satan really hits hard and has been for years and years and years um and and have you guys experienced spiritual warfare in trying to unify i mean you guys have been doing this both of you have been doing this i have been doing this since the church was founded um in particular, have you guys sensed any spiritual warfare, Pete, even, you know, in recent years, becoming into the leadership here? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I can tell one, one story in particular. Um, it was with another uh, Christian brother of mine who, through the course of our relationship, I think the topic of race, racial justice in America had come up, and I had said some things that really made him angry. And it, it, it turned to this person saying some things that were unwise, unflattering, I think some things that were just downright sinful. And we ended up having a conversation, trying to talk things out, trying to talk through a lot of things we're talking about now. And he just was not, he didn't want to hear it. And he was a Christian, I think very much so, like mm-hmm. been in the church for a long time, I would say mature on a number of levels, but he just was like refusing to hear anything I was saying. Mm-hmm. And I was showing my wife, who's very much wiser, than me. I was like, hey, I was showing her a text thread where he's just like 
being defensive and making straw man arguments, saying things that are non nonsensical. Mm-hmm. But she, and I showed it to her, I was like, am I missing anything? Is there anything I'm not communicating clearly with this brother? And she's like, no, you just need to pray. Mm-hmm. Like you said what you can. Mm-hmm. And this person is, is unfortunately allowing this to be a stronghold and you need to pray and not, not try to engage this on, on the, on the physical level because it's a spiritual battle. And that for me was very freeing. Mm. Almost like Pete was saying in the sermon today, like it's not our job to change people. And I think certainly sometimes this conversation about unity, we can try to like make the best arguments and read the best books and give the best explanations. But some people have that stronghold of wanting to hold on to be it their Americanness, their whiteness, their blackness, whatever. And they just won't hear things that are, that are clearly biblical. And I think that that is a call for us to not argue all the time, but to know when and how we can articulate what we should and, and then pray and let the Holy Spirit work in people. Cause this, I think, like you said, this is a, this is a demonic stronghold. And I would say it's particularly apparent in the American church. So there is a lot of praying, maybe more praying we need to do than, mm. than just talking. Yeah. Most people are more interested in being right than getting it right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're more interested in holding on to when you, when your mind, when you have a narrative in your mind yeah. about whatever, you know, race, racial issues or whatever. Um, when you're fed information that contradicts what your mind believes, you will create arguments mm-hmm. to, to defend what your mind, your narrative. And I think that's what people do. Um, even if it's evidence against it, you don't want to hear that mm-hmm. because you want to hold on to your narrative about this group of people or about this issue or this subject. About the country. You're not into or the country. You're not interested in the truth. And I, when I come across people like that, I don't try to, I don't you'll normally engage them. If I know somebody is, is not willing to listen even to um, the other side, I don't, I don't and maybe I, I should get better at that, but I, I usually just back off. And I don't engage at all because I think it's pointless to do that. Because um, if you're if you've made up your mind that this is it, and no amount of evidence is going to change your mind, then I'm like, okay, you know. Um, but it's definitely a, a spiritual thing. It, it, it's especially this issue of race. Um, and right now, it, the, the country's so tense, and people are so angry, and emotions are everywhere, um, and. Emotions are a powerful thing. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And even suggesting something, whatever that may be, um, can make people angry. Because a lot of times people, you can say something and can, a person can hear something totally different than what you said. Right. I may say this, but you heard this. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that's not what I said, but because of your narrative and your emotional state, right. that's what you heard. Mm. And so you'll push back uh, against that, and that's that's not good at all, you know. So, and I think that's where we are. So, I think it's very wise. You have to be very careful what you say to black people in particular right now. Um, what you say concerning race right now. I think that's why Drew Brees got in trouble for right. what he said. You know, um, it just wasn't wise to say that right now. And I'm and there's a lot of people who feel the same way he does, and that's right. disrespecting the flag. Right. But to say that right now, and I'm not saying trying to control people's. Um, Uh, But you just have to use wisdom. Wisdom. You can't say anything right now. People um, tweet stuff. It's just not wise. Think about what you're saying before you say it. Before you tweet, before you hit that send, think. Is this going to cause 
um, more harm than good. And some people may want it to. That's why they hit. Yep. I want you to be mad. Yep, there you go. You know, and that's why they said it. I don't care what anybody thinks. Okay, and you, and you got to deal with people like that too. But I think um, it's a very emotional, emotionally sensitive environment right now in our country. And I think it's, we just need to use wisdom in what we say. Yeah. Spiritual warfare, Pete. Yeah. yeah if, um, I, I don't have any specific stories that come to mind, um, but I just just looking at the 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 world and the society as it's developing, the worldview that's being created, um, you, you're seeing clearly evidence of I, what I think is satanic and demonic and just the, the way mm-hmm. the, the approach to the subject is from a worldly perspective, mm-hmm. that it's, it's all about when, when addressing these things, some stuff that, Eddie, you were saying, like you, you have to be very careful with what you're saying because society at this point is saying everything's, everything's racist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I read an article, was it yesterday, the, the 10 reasons why grocery stores are racist. And, um, <laughs> and, it was, and I was like, how, I, it's, being, it's being read into every mm-hmm. single context mm-hmm. of society. That's true, that's true. And, yeah. I, and I think that is intentional. Yeah. And I, I don't think that is just an accident that that's occurring and i think mm-hmm. satan's using that to confuse people yeah. and say, and and take away from what the actual genuine problems and, and issues are, like are smoke screen. Addressed. Yeah. yeah interesting so so then everything becomes this so then nothing is. Ra- mm-hmm. racism is then like, it's it's a nothing word at this point mm-hmm. because everything's racist, racist yeah. and so what the actual tangible things that need to be addressed can't get addressed because it's just muddied with all this other stuff yeah um, one thing that, that Eddie you mentioned, I wanted to to kind of add on and and touch on um, when you were talking about uh, being being careful with what you post, um, and and I think that is incredibly wise to think about. Um, Paul says to outdo one another in love, mm-hmm. outdo one another, showing honor, showing too. honor, yeah, mm-hmm. and so. And so I think when, when, especially when you're dealing with social media, I hate social media. Um, there, there's benefits to it, but there's a lot of downside to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But um, when, when you're posting something, especially thinking in the context of our local church here, there are, there are people who differ in the response to this. And not just, even, not just even they differ slightly, but there are people who have very strong opinions that are... Um, that if we want to categorize them and I hate doing that are, that are pro black and then others that are pro police or pro the other side. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not that we don't share what is true. I think you have to share what is truth. You have to, you have to share what is right. But I oftentimes wonder if a better tactic rather than posting that thing on social media would be to go talk to my black brother. Yep. And say, how can I love you right now? Mm-hmm. Or talk to those who are in the police force or sympathize more with police officers. Say, how, how can I care for you now, even in the midst of this? And, it, and the world doesn't want anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Society wants nothing to do with that. And so I, I think if we live by a principle of outdo one another and showing honor and love, mm-hmm. um, it would just... I think transform how our interactions are. It would transform the things that we post. And in addition, I'll add one caveat to that. 
just because someone posts something doesn't mean they 100% endorse something. Right, right, um, right, right. And it doesn't mean they hate everybody who would... <laughs> right. If you post something endorsing the the black community, that doesn't mean you hate police. Right, right. If right. you post something endorsing police, that doesn't mean you hate black people. Right, right, I think right. I think social media just drives exactly. this wedge between yeah. people. Um, and that's one, one of the main reasons that I hate it as much as I do. But um, we, we have to be... You, you can't have a nuanced conversation in 160 characters. Right, right. And yeah, so yeah. Don't, don't read into, I think we mentioned this in the last one, like love, love thinks the best. Right, mm, right. And so don't read into a post that is pro these protests and the, not, the, not the violent rioting protests. I think we all collectively agree that it's, those aren't good. Mm. Um, and, but the, the peaceful protests don't, don't look at someone who posts a positive thing of that and say, well, you just hate cops. Then. Right. It's like, that's not true. Right. Right. Operate in what's truth. Mm-hmm. Operate in what's right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you have a question, go talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think one, the thing you mentioned there, Eddie, I think is very wise in just think about what you're mm-hmm. posting, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. what you're talking about before you do it. And, um, yeah, I've had to learn to do that myself. Yeah. I even was hesitant even about posting the podcast we did hmm. the last one. Hmm. I mean, even like I said, even positive stuff and stuff that's true. Yeah. I'm thinking, okay, do I want to post this yeah. just because, you know? Yeah. And yeah, just because cause some people, that's all they post about. I mean, yeah. whenever there's a hot button issue, whatever it is, that's all some people post about. Some people's post is all about race and it's yep. all about politics and it's all about. Yep. Um, whatever. Some people on Facebook right now, that's all, every, every post is about George Floyd and, mm-hmm. and every post is, okay, that's where they are. And I get that, you know, but, and, the, um, and there's certain hot button issues that every person has mm-hmm. where even now you're seeing things like, well, yeah, we're against this, but we're also against this over here. What about this thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And then somebody else coming along, well, you didn't mention this, so you must not care about this. It's yeah, like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, hold it's on. Crazy. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Stop. Yeah, yeah, stop you have for to, a moment. I, you have to use wisdom. And I think we can hopefully collectively all agree that um, virtue signaling on social media is not truly actually helping right. anything. Don't practice your righteousness before uh, others. Yeah, yeah like, that's good, Justin. Yeah, yeah I think. Uh, I hope that everybody can agree, like, just putting a black square on Instagram, like, that, that's not true unity. Uh, you can you can call it what you want, but it isn't, that, that's society's answer to how we're being unified. Right. Is we put black squares on Instagram. That doesn't do anything for anybody. Yeah. Anyway, I'm off my rant of social media. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. And I, and I would agree with you that Satan uses any means he can. Oh, yeah. He's very means, slippery, yeah. like yeah. very crafty, very shrewd. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I often personally feel the, the enemy's hand in these types of things. Oh yeah. And, Amen. and it's an invisible hand. So it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it's impossible for us to say, look, look, there it is. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, we're, we're warned that this will be the case and, uh, division and, you know, warfare among people groups has been since yeah. Genesis three, right? You know, you read the old Testament and you see it and mm-hmm. the hatred and the, and it, it, and we're trying to do something that God will ultimately do in the new heavens and the new earth, but we're working towards that now. However, what we just saw in the Galatians passage, back to Galatians, back to Galatians. Paul said, you are not acting in accord with the gospel, Peter. And he said it's out of fear, right? This is well, this was Peter's problem. He had a fear of man issue. And we see this 
in the uh, trial of Jesus too, right? You remember that? Mm-hmm. He was afraid, so he denied Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is a reoccurring issue for Peter. I sympathize with him because I struggle with fear of man yeah. issues mm-hmm. as well. So I sympathize. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, without uh, personal experience criticizing him here. Mm-hmm. I struggle and wrestle with it too. So in what ways does fear of man contribute to our current situation right now? Especially in the church. Yeah. Let's let's go there for just a minute. I know I sprung that on you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can I can give a perhaps a, a concrete positive example of, of what this looks like and how we maybe walk free from it. Okay. And it was on last last week's podcast. So we were talking about the idea of white privilege, the idea of empathizing with people who share different experiences. And Pete, the true and better Peter. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, the ideal Pete, the ideal Peter, I'm just kidding. But Pete said something that, that stuck out, and I think that, that, that mirrors what we should be after in the body of Christ. When he was, I'm not going to quote you directly, but you said, you know, if empathizing with my black brothers and sisters and examining the advantages that I have in life to try to see how I can better serve people makes me woke or liberal or one of those, you know, mm-hmm. uh, derogatory terms that people use, then so be it. Like, mm-hmm. right. I want to follow Jesus, and I, I don't want to be bound by the opinion of people who are out to make everyone the woke, you know, mm-hmm. uh, other words that people use to describe levels that I probably won't repeat. But to me, as, as, a, as, a, as a black person, that's encouraging to hear that like, oh, Peter is not just here for mm-hmm. the token moment where he's around black people, but he knows that there are people who may call him, you know, a leftist or a social justice warrior or someone who's woke. And you just have to kind of radically accept that that might happen. Because like you were saying, Eddie, there are people who want to see wokeness or critical theory or leftism and everything, and they'll just find it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. unfortunately, that happens to people, too. Right. And that happens on the, on the other way as well. So I think, you know, you, uh, in this passage example, Peter could couch his withdrawing from the Gentiles with wisdom. It's like, oh, you know, I don't want to show the appearance of sin when really it's fear. And I think we have to think about that, that there are all of these secondary identities we have, be it our ethnicity. I think another one is our politics. And perhaps we have to count the cost of saying it's possible that some people on my political side may think that I'm, I'm for them. I'm for the left or I'm for the right when really I'm for Jesus. But because Satan has blinded people, Anything that looks like the other side is cast as, right. as sin when really it's, it's just mm-hmm. trying to live out biblical unity. So I think we have to accept that we may be misunderstood. Yeah. It's a cost we have to, to count. And right. I commend Pete for his example last week because I think that's one that we all probably deal with, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, in a church like ours. Right, yeah. Yeah, you have to be willing to be called names, you know, um, like I was saying earlier. And, um, and that takes boldness, integrity, you know. Um, and... and, and, and Usually the names are not approved, but they don't fit. Right. You know, but right. it's not true. People have to, yeah. they're not true, but people have to find a way to make themselves feel better sometimes or mm-hmm. to, like I said, justify the narrative in their own mind. You know, so, and sometimes by, uh, the way to do that is to, to call you something that you're not. You know, so whether it's, um, well, go, you're one of them, quote, one of them woke guys, huh? Oh, oh you believe in, quote, unquote, social justice and all this. You know, and, and they mean it in a derogatory way. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't mean it as a compliment, you know. So you have to be willing, you know, I have to be willing to be called a coon, you know, or a house mm-hmm. nigga, or a sellout. Hey. You know, <laughs> just being real. Can we bleep that you know? out? <laughs> <laughs> you can edit this. But we get a little explicit logo next to the podcast. <laughs> 
He's right, though. But yeah, so and we all have right. to do that sure. out of fear. And we, uh, none of us wants to be called names, you know, right. so we are fearful. And we don't want to be categorized, but a stereotype. Yeah, you know, stereotyped, exactly. Yeah, so we'll do whatever we can to avoid that, you know. And sometimes that means that requires compromise, which we ought not do. That's the test, though. Is your identity in Christ or is it in right, yeah, your political definitely. party, your ethnicity, yep. mm-hmm. your line of work? You know, I'm mm-hmm. for police or for military or for, you know, uh, activism. You know, mm-hmm. where, is our, where is our final identity and are we willing to be misunderstood? Right. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Anything more on that before we move on? No, I can't top Eddie. Uh, <laughs> in this case, so. unless you cuss, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. We talked about that last week. That's not. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, not I'll, for you. Sorry, I'll just, I'll just remain silent. I was. Never mind. All right. So, so what does it mean in our church, uh, and specifically uh, as as you know, a pastoral team that is intentionally unified here amidst diversity? What does it mean for us and our church to keep in step with the gospel when it comes to racial tension, ethnic tensions, especially within the last couple months? Let's, let's talk about some clear, you know, concrete things here, if we can think on the fly. Uh, what does it mean for us to keep in step with the gospel? As Paul said, Peter was not, as he pulled back from the Gentiles. Let's say tangibly it would it would look like something that we we address and not not just when a shooting occurs not just but when the text calls for it we we make appropriate space to talk about it I, and when yeah when scripture says and talks of justice it should be something we preach it shouldn't be something we shy away from it shouldn't be something that we we gloss over. Um, it shouldn't be something we where we take the position of well, we just preach the gospel. We're not going to worry about all that stuff um, because I think that's doing a, a disservice to the gospel um, when when we operate that way. So I think very tangibly, preach it from the pulpit. Talk about it. Don't make it this sensationalized topic that we can only talk about when there's conflict, but something that is readily a part, Teddy, what you said earlier, readily a part of what's in the culture and DNA of what you hear from us as a pastoral team and just the church in general. Keeping in step with the gospel. Well, um, we just obey scripture and keep in step with scripture and what the gospel entails, not just the content of the gospel, which is primary, but also the scope of the gospel. The gospel has sociological effects. And so we need to keep in step with what that is, and whether it's justice um, of any kind, you know, uh, social, racial, or otherwise, any kind of justice, um, or anything, just, just, just in this context, racial, um, just be biblical and do our best to adhere to what the scripture says, how we are to treat each other. We ought to live out Ephesians 2, you know, practically. The reconciliation that has been accomplished in Christ, let's walk that out. We talked about that last time. Let's walk that out. Let's live that out um, um, by any means necessary. 
to, 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 to yeah to make a, a, a famous phrase to quote a famous phrase, but by any means necessary, walk that out, knowing that it may cost us something. How committed am I to the gospel? To Ephesians 2, how committed am I to that? And am I willing to walk that out practically with my brothers and sisters who don't look like me? And, um, and that's going to require some uncomfortable conversations, some uncomfortable situations. All of that is going to be included. But it's worth it. Am I committed to the gospel am I, or am I going to cower in fear like Peter? Because I'm afraid of what the people who look like me are going to think and say who don't agree with me. That's good. Anything else? Concrete? Yeah. Um, Pete mentioned the social media campaign that I think it happened last week where people were posting a black square to, I guess, bring attention to the injustice that had happened with George Floyd and with others. And while I could certainly see that as flippant, perhaps trite, uh, there, there is a, a sentiment that seems to be going around that people are, are awakening to the idea mm-hmm. that um, it's, it's not... Uh, sufficient or practical to just say that I'm not a racist, mm. but we should be working towards an end to show love in proactive ways. Mm. And I, if I, the, the term that's being used a lot because it's, it's written about um, in secular culture is the term anti-racist, which I don't totally hate, but I also need to read more about it. But I, we should be anti-racist, meaning we should be actively working to do the opposite of racism, but to love and to mm. you know, advocate for and to correct oppression and all that. And if I think if, if as Christians, keeping in step with the gospel, being eager to maintain unity, uh, to Eddie's point, if we just try to live by the Bible, so every time the Bible talks about relationships between people in the church, love one another, bear one another's burdens, weep with those who weep, we're the body of Christ, we're all these unique parts with different ways we can contribute. Mm-hmm. We should think about how we can do those things with people who are different than us. Um, because it has been, at least in my experience, a very popular Christian sentiment to say, oh, well, we're not racist and we have the gospel, so that's enough. But I think if we're talking about keeping in step with the gospel, where Paul confronts Peter here, he's confronting him because he's not being eager to maintain unity. And I, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see a day where we were eager to have this conversation. Mm. Like, how can we do better? Mm. How can I love my, and we're talking about it mostly from a black-white perspective, but... I remember when the coronavirus started and there was a lot of animosity and, and stigma towards the Asian population mm-hmm. because like, oh, this is your fault, which is mm-hmm. a lie and, and really right. bigoted and, and other things. But how can we be eager to show honor to our Asian brothers and sisters when that's happening? Or how can we be eager to think about or identify with the persecuted church and certainly with black and white and everybody? How can we be eager to do that and just live biblically, live all those one and others in the Bible? And particularly as Christians, maybe we begin to measure ourselves by Am I doing what the Bible says people should do when they love each other? I, I think that's how we, to me, that's, that's, the, that's the keeping in step with the gospel. It's not just saying I'm a racist, but it's living biblically um, in a way that shows love towards people who are different than me. Yeah. It, being a racist, I think when we think about racist, we always normally think about probably the worst case scenario yeah. we can think of. We yeah. usually think about the KKK or white supremacists. And so, so well, I'm not like that. Well, yeah, I don't, when somebody tells me they're not a racist, I believe them. You know, I don't believe you, you're and, and that may be true. Um, but you can have racist um, ideologies or per, um, perceptions about people without being a racist necessarily. Um, and that can come from whether subconsciously or consciously from, from other people, parents or whatever the case may be. And so, um, and sometimes we just need to check those. It doesn't mean you're a racist, but maybe my, my view or my um, idea about this particular group 
may, may be racist, even though I may not be. I remember hearing a pastor, a white pastor, talk about that himself. He said, I, I, he wasn't a racist, but he, he realized he had some racist views. And he's married to a black woman. <laughs> he said, I'm married to a black woman. I realized I had some. You know, so sometimes mm-hmm. that can be the case. Attitude is, is huge, too. We maintain, we got to make sure we have the right attitude when we address this. Humility. You know, Humility, exactly, yeah. yeah. And not be so easily offended, mm-hmm. you know. And that's on both sides. That's on both sides, black or white or, or, or other, you know. Um, but uh, sometimes our atti- attitude can be bad. We can think that, um, you know, sometimes we can have the attitude of, okay, black, white people can have the attitude of like, okay, listen, look, we free the slaves, you know, okay? Right. And by the way, you're welcome, mm-hmm. you know. Um, <laughs> we passed the Civil Rights Bill, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the NBA is 87% black, um, LeBron. Uh, <laughs> Oprah, Dr. Dre, and several other people are billionaires. Right. You know, we elected a black man for president twice. You know, right. OJ got off. What the hell's the problem? But none of those things are biblical. You know, not, <laughs> you know, I'll let you some, finish. Have yeah, an attitude. Like, okay, biblical, what's the problem right, then? Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, and all those things are true. All those things are true. Right. But does that mean that there's not a race issue in this country anymore? Well, no. You know, so, so that's, my, that's what I mean by attitude. Our attitude um, ought to be an attitude of humility. Yes, we can celebrate the progress we've made. Thank mm-hmm. God for all of those things that have happened. You know, that's, that's progress, you know. Um, uh, but there's still some work that needs to be done, and we all acknowledge that. You know, black people don't deny that. Yeah. You know, and if yeah. they are, they're, they're obviously in denial. <laughs> you know, we've come a long way. We've made great progress, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, as we can see, in the past couple of weeks, there's still some things that, you know, there's still ways we need to go. So we both need to be humble and have the right attitude in dealing with this issue and addressing this issue and not be so easily offended because somebody uses the term race or racism or, um, or, or whatever term may offend you. Don't be so easily offended. Mm-hmm. You know, try to understand. It's not even that I want you to agree necessarily, but just understand you know, where people are coming from. I understand that we've, we've, we've come from different backgrounds in this country. We have different histories in this country. I understand that. So therefore, we're going to think differently about race in particular, mm-hmm. you know, because of that. So um, be mindful of that. Be, be, be open to that and not be so easily offended. Hmm. Um, I, I want to talk about Carl Ellis' last essay okay. that he posted. I thought that was really helpful. But before we talk about that, I think it would be good for all of us to say publicly here that we would invite anybody who wants to ask us about any of these things for more clarification, or if they want to ask things, they should also not be afraid to ask us because they think we might condemn them or call them a racist, or how could you be so insensitive Mm -hmm. to have these kind of questions? How how would you coach even our people to say, look, if, if you have questions or you want clarity, just ask me. Is it that simple? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I think so. Well, I would hope that people will feel comfortable coming to us, you know, and addressing these issues. And we, we do talk well, like Pete said that. last week, I've heard multiple times, like I don't, I don't even know how to ask a question I might have because then I might be considered a racist. No, I, I, like I, that's, I get that's a danger that. for yeah, a lot of people. They're like, I'm just not going to say anything because if I say it wrong, yeah, yeah. just like and grocery I, stores could be racist. <laughs> if I ask this question, I'm going to be. I'm a racist. Yeah, I know yeah, it. Yeah. So, like, no, I'm just I, trying I get to get that, you know. guys to say, yeah. along with me, I threw out the email last week. I said, look, if you got anything you want to talk about, give people the permission, I guess, right, is what yeah, I'm asking yeah. here. For sure. I, I, I had a conversation this week with someone who called me and was like, hey, I just want to, like, 
get your perspective on some things. I think mm-hmm. asking to understand something is very different than asking to confirm mm-hmm. a, a hypothesis you have in your head. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, like that's helpful. You know, let, let's say, and I, I wouldn't at all be offended or or surprised if this happened. Someone heard something that made them angry from what we said. If you're asking me to confirm why you're angry because you want to antagonize and you want to, you know, really tell me how you feel, perhaps wait and pray on that one. Um, and wait and pray until you can ask me to say, what did you mean by that? Or help me understand where are you coming from? And generally seek to understand. Mm-hmm. I would say that there are probably 10 things on this podcast that I'd like to elaborate on more. But we just don't have time. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so if, if you're already say, going yeah. in like building this case against anything that's been said in your head and you're asking because you want to just dump the case on somebody, perhaps wait and perhaps pray and perhaps ask to seek understanding. Um, that's 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 wise that's proverbs right there are many purposes in man's heart but a person of understanding draws them out mm-hmm. so i absolutely am, am open to having that conversation um especially i realize we're people we're sinful and we're not always going to do everything perfectly but it, it's especially edifying to me when it's clear that the person is trying to understand versus just trying to to argue their point right yeah 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 i got a um, text today and offered to talk to, to a white brother white friend about about um a video i had sent you know con- uh, talking about race and race issues and the whole george floyd thing and he said i'd like to talk and ask some questions you know he said some things i agree with he said some things i disagree with so i'd like to talk and so yeah that's what needs to happen that's great we can do that yeah, yeah that's good yeah that's good. and they should not be afraid to do so I'm not afraid to do so and we're friends so he knew he could yeah. talk to me so yeah, yeah. good yeah, and, and hopefully our time here the last like this week and last week has been um, eye-opening for people about how to have a conversation about mm-hmm. challenging things and not have it be super emotional and something that it turns into an argument or, or a fight. Um, like Justin said, I mean, I think we're all we're all in agreement that there's way more we could say about this and there's very nuanced things that we, if we got into the nitty and gritty of things, we may disagree on. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm willing to extend charity to my brothers here who I'm like, you can't form, formulate an entire argument in three hours worth of podcasting. Mm-hmm. And right. so we can, we can continue to have conversations, but at the same time, I, I, we can do so in a respectful and a kind right. way. And that's, right. what, that's what I would expect if, if someone were to come and, and have a conversation. I wouldn't speak any differently than I am now right. with mm-hmm. anyone who was having a conversation. I wouldn't get angry and emotional and... I would stick to what's true. I would stick right, to what right. is right, what is gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, we can have a civil conversation and, and not turn into a gigantic debate. I would also encourage, too, if you want to have a detailed, nuanced conversation, have it in person. Yeah. Um, at the very least, if you can't meet in person, talk on the phone. Sure, um, right. Don't do it over Don't text, do it over please. text. Don't yeah, do it over no, yeah, any other... Like, There's so much you can read into words. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, it's a recipe for disaster. Right, yeah. right, right. It's good. It's excellent. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys. Um, so let's talk Carl Ellis for a moment. We've, we've appreciated Carl Ellis, um, and Eddie has appreciated Carl Ellis for quite some time. Um, and he just wrote an article, um, that was really helpful. And he mentioned, uh, three groups of people that are kind of out 
protesting and he got the article. Look at that. It's all highlighted. Yeah, I came prepared. I came prepared. I came I prepared. It. So he, he has this concept and, and he is a theologian. He's a yes. professor. He's a, and he's a, a doctor. And a historian and an anthropologist. Right, all of that. Yeah. right, right. Very helpful voice mm. and, and very reasonable. Yes, like he's yes, very, not yeah, in, inflammatory. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not. Um, he, he said that in this whole debate here and especially amongst those out on the streets and protesting he said you have these groups these three groups he said you have achievers you have Mm non-achievers and then you have anti-achievers and he seemed to me as i was reading the article to say listen guys these anti-achievers are a bigger threat Mm. than the racists. Did I read that wrong or no i think that's what he's saying too the anarchist yeah. yeah yes yes the anarchist yeah because they don't care about either one of us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, just to, just to back up and give some history for those who might see this for the first time, we as Eternal City have been promoting this unifying peoples f- since its inception, but also we have talked against anarchy and, listen, when might makes right, we're in bad, bad times. And so we would, you know, we have been agreeing with Carl here for quite some time that we would not have articulated in those three categories. Can you expand, Eddie, because you've read a lot of Carl Ellis um, and have pictures with him on your walls and all that. <laughs> expand on. <laughs> the, the achiever mm. culture. Okay. The um, non-achiever. Non-achiever okay. and the anti-achiever. Okay. I thought that was a really read. helpful way yeah, to I say did it. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you see, the achievers live by values that generally lead to success in this social cultural system. Not always economic success by American standards, but a sense of flourishing and stability. Non-achievers live by values that generally do not lead to success in this social cultural system. And anti-achievers live by nihilistic values, which in many cases end in desperation and criminal behavior. So those are three groups of people. You know, the achievers, the non-achievers, and the anti-achievers. And you can see, when you look at society, you can't see that. Mm-hmm. In different, and, and, and he talks about it in one context, context in the black community in particular, but obviously that can, that can apply to any, any people group. Yeah. You have those three groups of people. Um, and so, and it, there's so much to be said here. Um, we have but time. the anti-achievers, he talks about in the, in the marches are the anarchists who go mm-hmm. to these marches and burn down you know, uh, the rioters. Those are the anti-achievers among those people. You know, now they may start, um, and they have a purpose in doing what they do. They start the rioting and then kind of like back off. And, he, and he actually mentioned in the article, you notice none of them got arrested, even though they're all on camera. Mm-hmm. But none of them get arrested, you know. Um, and then you may have some of the non-achievers uh, come in and help and start the um, and start the um, and, and and help with the rioting. But it's all um, the foundation is these non-achievers, these anarchists who want who have who live by nihilistic values, which means they have no moral standard and and they and they buck against any kind of authority, government in particular, and especially police. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially, he mentioned that in the article, especially police, they hate the police. And so they will come in and, and do all of this stuff, um, supposedly in support of the cause, but they really care nothing about the cause at all. You know, it's all about them. It has nothing to do with the cause. Um, um, and, and he mentioned something, let's see if I can find it um, in this article. Uh, while you look, well, I want to hear, yeah, I wanna I hear what Justin has to say about this and Pete, too, yeah. assuming both of you have read the article and enjoyed it. I was going to add a layer to this because I think the non-achiever, anti-achiever, uh, what is it, high achiever? 
Achievers, yeah. non-achievers, anti-achievers. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah, yeah. you could say in a protest context, the achievers are the people who are organized. They have a specific message. It's productive. It's time-based. Like these are the protesters that we would say are, are the, the good like they're out there for real, genuine change, and they're living by the constitutional exactly. protected yep. right yep. to to protest. Yeah, it's it's a truly peaceful process. Those would be the achievers in a protest context. The non-achievers would be people who are antagonistic, who are rude, who are mean, who are you know doing things that are counter to the cause, if you will. And then the anti-achiever is the person who, like what we we saw here in Pittsburgh, twenty-year-old kid, uh, just on his own volition, it's on tape, just went and the protesters tried to stop him, but he th- burned a police car because he has no concern for what any of the outcomes are, police or minorities or anybody. And I think anti-achievers are driven by hopelessness. Yes, yes. They, they don't see, yeah, they don't yeah. care about the left, right, black, white, Christian, non-Christian. It's hopelessness. And I think another example of that um, was the last election. You had this proliferation of bots on the internet where people sometimes are trying to exchange ideas between you know political ideologies and the bots would just throw things that were inflammatory to try to make both sides mad at each other. And what was interesting after the election was how many bots had a large following of people that they were mm-hmm. deceiving. Yeah. So they were just... There th- are some people who are going, what's a bot? So explain yeah, that sorry. real quick. A bot is an automated uh, response that's not a person. So sometimes uh, they can create a fake account on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and they will just post things that are inflammatory, that are mean, that make people angry, but there's no person behind the keyboard. It's an algorithm that learns and it, it knows to say when to say what to make this person mad. So if you're a pro-America person, the bot's giving you all the, the left social justice things that are going to make you mad. If you're an activist, socialist, you know, social justice person, the bot's going to give you all the make America great again you know, mm. things that are going to make you mad. And they don't care about making America great again. They don't care about justice. They just care about right. getting us to fight with each other. Right. That's, That's yeah. And, and it, it was very interesting to see how many of those influenced people because there were people who, who don't want to see, you know, outcomes of any sense. They just want us to fight with each other. And that goes all the way back to spiritual warfare. Yeah. That is the role of yeah. spiritual warfare. It's not, there are no good outcomes. It's just everyone tears each other down. Yeah, and it, you see, you see tangible evidence of it even in the last week and a half or so that to that point of they don't care about either side. They're just looking for, they're just looking for anarchy. They're looking for upheaval. Um, there have been we five, five black people who've been killed through the rioting that's mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was a 77 year old man who was St. Louis. Yeah. yeah down yeah, in St. Louis, Louis, David yeah. Dorn, who was just going to check on his friend's shop and mm-hmm. he was shot and killed in the middle of the street. And, streamed live on Facebook. Mm. Um, and, and they don't care. They don't care. There, right. there's, there, like you said, Eddie, there, there's, no, there's no morality there that mm. is driving them to care. And so what they're looking to do is just incite violence and incite problems. And I think, Justin, your, your point of how those bots operated in the last election is, is very true. Like they, they're just going to just cause problems. And, and that's their agenda and that's their goal. And ultimately, like we talked about a little earlier, it, it muddies the message. Now, now, instead of talking about what, what we should be talking about, which is improving um, justice for black people in America, now you've just created chaos to where you've got these dividing lines again. Mm-hmm. People saying, well, it's all just about violence now. It's all just about the rioters now. It's like that, that's not the, that's not the clear goal of anything that was going on in these peaceful protests. But now you've got 
cops at risk. You've got other people at risk because of people that operate in this way. Right. Yeah. The, the cause was hijacked. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I'm going to read. I want to read something. Go for Appealing it. to the cause. To, appealing to the cause in the case of the memory of George Floyd, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor had no effect on the anarchists because they don't give a damn. They don't give a damn about justice or equality either. They just want to destroy governmental authority and the existing social order, and they don't care who gets hurt in the process. There is no love for humanity in the anarchist ideology. It is a nihilistic dream, manipulating the inclinations of non-anarchic nihilists like looters and exploiting the rest of humanity merely as objects to be used, tossed aside, or crushed if they stand in the way. The anarchists understand flawed human nature well enough to know that all they have to do is break a few storefront windows and toss a few incendiary devices while passions about the cause are running high. They know that things will snowball from that point as criminals, as criminals who similarly don't care about the cause. They will take it from there looting and burning, burning, followed by the opportunists, black and white, and others, for whom access to instant merchandise will override the cause. From there, they hope things will go viral. Anarchists understand human depravity even as they practice it. Hmm. One other thing. The anarchists know they can get away scot-free because the news media and others will lump all this under the heading of the demonstrators. Isn't it incredible how many under the influence of the anarchist ideology were seen doing their destructive work, yet how few were actually caught? They, they also count on well-meaning but naive protest leaders and sympathizers, sympathizers who will attribute all this merely to the anger and pent-up frustration of the community. Yes, there is anger and frustration, but who initiated the destruction? That's good. That's good. That's Sounds like a man good. of lawless, lawlessness and revelation. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which satanic. Yeah. 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 They don't. They care about nothing. Yeah. You know. Um, it, it's it's very interesting that there is from a non-biblical worldview flowing this hatred. Um, it's not just hatred though. It's it's envy. It's a desire to destroy. You know, one of Satan's names is the destroyer. Mm-hmm. And all of his attributes, you know, slanderer, destroyer, you know, he's, he's seen bringing the order of God down in, in the garden. You know, mm-hmm. he's trying to reverse the order by Adam, who was to have dominion. Now he is listening to the one who he's to, to have dominion over. You know, the snake is a lower form. Uh, supposed to be subservient to Adam and it's flipped. So Satan's always in the business of, of wrecking God's order and mm-hmm. plans. And I think his ultimate aim is to, to get at God. Mm-hmm. And because we image him and because we were made uh, to be unified and because society, if it's ordered rightly, reflects God, he wants to see it burn and, and, and chaos erupt and as much death as possible. He's the God of this world. So we do need to wake up, I think, and see the, the, the underlying invisible fingers in all of this. Mm-hmm. And, and we'd be very unwise to discount the spiritual realities yeah. that the Bible says are very much there and present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, even at play with, within us, like, taunting us and speaking lies in our heads and getting mm-hmm. us to believe, mm-hmm. you know, false narratives right, and, and yeah. things about people that might not be true. And you can almost, 
just sense it, sense the evil. The, 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 uh, even when you, when you watch the news, um, yeah, you just know there's something spiritual going on. It's not, you can almost, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but, you know, um, just see the evil, you know, the wickedness in it all, you know, and um, it's real. It's very real. It's very real. Yeah. Any further comments, brothers? Anything that you wanted to bring up or go in on that we kind of glossed over? Anything you would want to, to drill down on a bit further? No, I mean we could we could spend all night oh, yeah, talking like night. the the ideologies behind a lot yeah. of these things, but that's another podcast to get into um, to understand like the how society's coming up with the the movements and the all the things heading in a heading in certain directions. Like how how is all this coming to be? There's a whole system of worldview behind all of it that we don't have time to get into. Yeah. Anything else you want to drill in on, Justin? We have time. No one's uh, got the stop clock on for us. I do think it's wise to consider that um, what we're seeing happening in America is is rocked the boat a bit as opposed to what we would expect from a typical summer. There's a little more unrest. Mm. But a lot of Christians have been dealing with unrest and lawlessness and chaos for decades, yeah, centuries even. Mm-hmm. So perhaps a, a chance to maybe reflect on that God has been in control and will continue to be in control. And just because America is getting a little, our boat's getting rocked a little bit. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who have been getting rocked for centuries. So he's still the king. Yeah. Yeah. I do think this, um, this incident, this time is a little different in the sense, in the sense of, I think more white people are starting to listen now. Um, they're listening yeah, more. Right. I mean, even yeah. what we see what's all over TV with the NFL and just uh, it, it, there's a different response mm-hmm. than the other than the other shootings in the sense where people are starting to say, OK, especially maybe because because on, it was on television mm-hmm. and people actually seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are like, wait a minute. This is I mean, could it be that this one was so clear? I yeah, mean, maybe. Like, yeah, that's what yeah, I mean. It, it was, was just, so clear. There yeah, really yeah. wasn't any ambiguity. There yeah, wasn't right, really. Yeah. And I think that probably has something to do with it. And, and, and I think a lot of white people started to say, wait a minute, you know, we've been hearing about this for a minute now. And I just seen a man just basically die on, on my, on, in front of my eyes on national television by a cop, you know. Um, so maybe I need to listen. Maybe I do need to, 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 to just listen more. So I, I just think there's something different with this one. And I think God is definitely going to use this um, for his glory, regardless of what's going on, regardless of people's motive. God is definitely going to use this, and I think uh, for His glory um, in His church. Um, we, we've, I mean, I, there's been so many church panel discussions now that I've seen online mm-hmm. uh, talking about race from churches everywhere. You know, which I didn't see before. Mm-hmm. You know, not that they didn't have them, but you know, but I. So, I, in, in that sense, I think this is different. I think um, God's going to use this, and I, I just think it's different. That's the best way I can put it. It's different. The response from from white America is different. Yeah, which good. I think in, in a good way. I mean, in a good way. That's good. Yeah. yeah, and Eddie, it's so interesting that you're bringing up uh, a lot of things that I, I think people would want to ask questions about and get more clarity on. Mm-hmm. So maybe what we could do is say to whoever's listening to this, if you want clarity on anything we've said in this part two or part one, you want us to go further, mm-hmm. please email us and be specific about what you would like us to clarify or go deeper on, and we will seek to do so. Because I think there are people who would like to, they're like, yeah. 
like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Can do a Q and a. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely. Clarity is great. Yeah. Clarity is good. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any last words of wisdom before we shut it down for the evening, my brothers? Read some books. Um, uh, there's a few that I can recommend. Um, no right oh boy, here we go. Here we go. One of them is Dear White Christian, written by a guy named Aaron Layton. What every white Christian needs to know about how black Christians see, think, and experience racism in America. <laughs> it was a great book, really good. I would recommend that. Woke Church by Eric Mason. I know it's controversial, but that would be a, a good book to get as well. Um, also, um, the Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. He does a great job of the history of racism in the church mm. in America. So I think that would help too. Um, uh, there's one by, I haven't read it yet, but it's by Tony Evans called Oneness Embraced, oh, yeah. um, which is good. Also, another one by Tony Evans I gave you to read, Chris, mm. called um, Let's Get to Know Each Other, mm. what um, black and white Christians need to know about each other. Mm. So I gave that to Chris about five years ago. Yeah, <laughs> still waiting to get it back. But anyway. <laughs> I have a problem. <laughs> still don't know each other. I have a problem. We still don't know each other because he hasn't read it yet. No, but anyway, those are a couple of recommendations. Some podcasts, a podcast called The True ID Podcast by a guy named Adam Coleman, which is great. He deals with these kind of issues. Um, so there's just a couple uh, things to rec- recommend. Okay, if I could add to the, the list of books, um, there is a book, Who's an Evangelical, by Thomas Kidd. Um, we didn't really get into the evangelical dynamics of the last election, but he gets into a lot of the... He's a historian. Um, mm-hmm. He gets into mm-hmm. a lot of the history of kind of how how the church, specifically evangelicalism, has dealt with um, the issue of race through um, really Puritan times onward and how it's kind of evolved and morphed over time. And I think he does a fair job of balancing out to say there are there are people on who who definitely abuse scripture, who mm-hmm. took on the mantle of evangelicalism and and used that to perpetuate injustice. Mm-hmm. He said, but even in the midst of that you had people who um who went through and they they stood for what was true. And it's very interesting because history does repeat itself. Mm-hmm. You you see story after story that he brings up, it's like, oh, this is like today mm-hmm. um, just people being mm-hmm. ostracized kicked out of their churches mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. being targeted because they they stood up for yeah. black people in the south mm-hmm. um, yeah. and and other things but I, I would recommend that book who's yeah. an evangelical yeah yeah Russell Moore um, mentioned that um, in a sermon he did when he was talking about that he said somebody, somebody had asked him oh, why don't we um, uh, hear about um, white people who were part of the civil rights movement and well, he said um he said they were there. He said we don't know who they are. He said, you know why? Because they got fired from their churches. They lost their jobs mm-hmm. um, because they spoke out against injustice, racial injustice, and we don't know who they are. He said, but they were there. Mm-hmm. But but God knows who they are. You know, we don't even know. But, but his point was, there were a whole lot of them. We just don't know who they are because of they were doing it. You know, not in the public eye. Yeah. Um, but like I said, they got they lost their jobs as pastors, as doctors, and policemen, or whatever. You know, so. But one other book I want to recommend by Jarvis Williams called um, "One New Man" yeah. Um, yeah. by Jarvis Williams, which is an excellent book, very theological. He deals textually theology. with. Yes, yeah. yes, he really breaks down Ephesians too, and so many others. So I highly recommend that one as well. Okay. I'm going to break the trend and recommend an article. It's a little shorter read. It actually, I think, yes. it came out this weekend. It's by David French. David French uh, mm-hmm. is a Christian. He writes. He used to write for the National Review, which is a conservative publication. I think he's independent now. But he wrote an article today called "American Racism: We Have So Far to Go," mm-hmm. and he does a very good job. He's a white Southern 
evangelical. So in many sense, I think he does a good job of breaking down a lot of the, we've been using this word narrative. He does a very good job of breaking down a lot of the narratives that get us tripped up when we discuss race. Mm -hmm. So is America an inherently racist country that's built on plunder Mm -hmm. and theft? Or is America a nation that was radically blessed by God that's had radical common grace to allow us to thrive this way? He does a good job of, of interrogating those narratives on both sides Mm -hmm. and gives a good perspective on um, why perhaps we've gotten to the place we have. And it's a, it's an article. So it's a short read American racism. We have so far to go by David French. Um, the other thing I'd probably recommend, uh, a book called the next evangelicalism by Sung Chan Ra. Mm. Um, he's a, a professor at a seminary. He did a good job though of breaking down what you were describing, Chris, which is the two thirds world. Um, how Christianity is growing and exploding there, and perhaps what the American church can learn from the actual true center of, of the of Christian growth in the world. So, mm. next evangelicalism, Sung Chun Ra. It's okay, good. one more thing. So yeah, yeah, go ahead. This article by, by Carl Ellis, please yeah, read really this. That's really good. Um, he has a blog called Prophets of Culture, he and his wife, but this article is called Protest and Anarchy in Black and Blue. Please read this article. Really it is good. so good. It's very also, insightful. Very insightful. And he's, he's just brilliant. He also has a book called Free at Last, The Gospel in the African-American Community, which will change your life. Please get that book. Free, anything by, by Carl Ellis. He's one of my theological yeah. heroes. I love that dude. He's brilliant. Please, please read him. Yeah. Yes. Well, what did you call him in our text message thread? You called him master. Yoda. The master. Oh, the master. Yeah, yeah. 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 I've been waiting for a response from the master. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend, recommend. Yeah, gonna recommend two books, and this might surprise people. However, I think we need to start young. Uh, and so a book by Shai Lin, mm. um, and, and the, the title is escaping me at the moment. But Shai Lin wrote a children's book, okay. and, and I believe it's... Um, you're going to look it up for me. He, he talks about how God made uh, us the way he made us on purpose. And the diversity of God is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we should, tr- we should be teaching our children these things very, very, very young so that they don't grow up with false narratives. Um, a second one is also a children's book. It's by uh, Trillia Newbell. Uh, and it's also really, really helpful. And I wasn't prepared for this. Oh, God's very good idea. Yeah, God, I because God's very good idea. We have them yeah. both in our yeah. bookstore here yeah. at the church. But uh, I read those to my kids. They love those books. And they're very biblical. And they're very helpful uh, in teaching kids about God's design of ethnicity and how uh, it, it just breaks down the traditional kind of racism that's... that's uh, this skin color, this hair kind, this means negative. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. we're all uh, in God's beautiful design in the varied ways. Did you find it? Yeah, Wi-Fi. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, just Shai Lin. He's only written one book, and it's a children's book, so it wouldn't be hard to find. So those would be my two mm-hmm. recommendations in addition. All right. um, Phillips has it. God made me and God made me and you. That's right. And, and I will add one more thing to that. Shailen wrote a, a children's album. You know, I live in children's land. As soon as I get home, it's, it's like toys everywhere and kids running up to me. And so I, I live in the world of children. Uh, God made me and you is an album that Shailen did for kids. And it's a theology album. It's really, really good. And I would recommend that. Yep. 
All right, brothers, thank you. And I anticipate more conversations like this. And, and again, what we said last week was this was not in response to what happened. We were planning this since January. However, it seemed appropriate to, to do it now rather than later. And we are going to do some ones on politics coming up. And we're going to do ones on how to have civil conversations while you disagree. We're going to do more interviews. And, uh, and we'll get into some more theology as the weeks roll on as well. So, brothers, thank you so much for speaking openly and honestly and trans- transparently. And I want to emphasize that uh, even if you hear this, friends, and you don't agree with things that others have said, that doesn't mean you have to dislike them and disattach from them. We can disagree with each other and still love each other. That is possible, believe it or not. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Culture Conversations, out.